0: Welcome back to the happy hour of Palate Cleansing Podcast. I'm Shayla Martos. And I'm Malachi Wade. And we are back post-election talking about some happy news on a local level.
1: Yes, we have some great stories today about the Oakland Museum, an Oakland chef launching a TV show, and an interview with a fellow editor about his piece on South San Francisco's first openly LGBTQ plus city council member.
0: And of course we have some more surprise, happy stories and a cocktail recipe for everyone as we settle into this somewhat cold autumn.
1: Fall is my favorite season for baked goods and drinks. So we definitely have some good seasonal cocktail ideas coming up. Let's get started.
0: I am absolutely thrilled because after eight months of closure due to the pandemic, the iconic Oakland Museum reopens a week from today, Friday the 27th, and admission is free Friday until Saturday the 29th. So that Friday the 27th until Sunday the 29th, admission is free. The museum will be open Fridays through Sundays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tickets range from $7 to $16, and you will need to choose a time slot. Members of the Oakland Museum got a chance to visit today, Friday the 20th, but next week the museum is open to everyone. They're implementing strict safety protocol, including operating at only 11% capacity, implementing one-way paths of travel, and asking health screening questions when folks enter. You can also visit the newly renovated gardens. Mm -hmm. Entry is free, but you will also need a timed ticket slot. For more information on safety protocol or how to purchase tickets, visit their website at museumca.org. I'm excited. I know we should go.
1: Yes, we will. And our next story is actually about someone who is set to open a cafe at the Oakland Museum called Town Fair. Local chef Tanya Holland, owner of Brown Sugar Kitchen, which is known for chicken and waffles, now has a TV show on Oprah's channel Own. The show called Tanya's Kitchen Table just premiered last Saturday, November 14th, and will air every Saturday until December 26th, according to SF Gate. Holland has been on cooking shows before as a co-host of Melting Pot and a contestant on Top Chef. Holland also started a podcast called Tanya's Table this last summer. We are excited to see more representation of Black women entrepreneurs in the mainstream cooking show network and TV in general. Hell yes. Hell yes. Especially someone from the community making food for the community, getting into the spotlight and being an example for others.
0: Speaking of Oakland changemakers, Carol Fife, organizer with Moms for Housing, just won the District 3 seat on the Oakland City Council. We at the Happy Hour agree with Fife and the Oakland Moms she supported who occupied a vacant home in West Oakland this past November. Housing is a human right. Fife and the Moms, Jessie Turner, Talani King, and Misty Cross, brought the disparities of homelessness in the Bay to a national audience. Now Fife can implement their message at a political level. Fife is my new city councilwoman, and I couldn't be more proud. Her new district includes West Oakland, Downtown, Uptown, Jack London, Pill Hill, Lake Merritt, and the Port of Oakland. The incumbent, Lynette Gibson McElhaney, was the first black woman to be elected president of the Oakland City Council, according to the SF Chronicle. McElhaney had a background in affordable housing and advocated against gun violence since she tragically lost her son in 2019. But in 2016, Mickle Haney was accused of violating state and city ethics rules and was sued by the city's Ethics Commission for failing to produce records in an investigation into whether she used her office for personal gain, again from the SF Chronicle. And in 2018, an administrative law judge recommended that the city of Oakland charge Mickle Haney with an $8,625 fine for violating the Oakland Government Ethics Act. So it seems Oaklanders were ready for a progressive change on the city council. I, for one, knew when I saw a big truck with a huge banner that said, Carol Fife, housing is a human right, blasting Bay Area rap down Peralta Street, things were changing in the lower bottoms.
1: And I think it's important to note that part of being, you know, actively involved in politics is not idolizing your political candidates that you voted for and being comfortable and able to critique what they do even if they're bringing solutions to the table talk about it and critique it that's the best way to be more involved in your community and now we are going to take a little break and when we return we'll talk with fellow golden gate express editor paul c kelly about his coverage of james coleman the youngest and first openly lgbtq city council member in south san francisco stay tuned
0: Everybody. We are really, really excited to have Mr. Paul Kelly here with us, arts and entertainment editor for the Golden Gate Express. How are you doing, Paul?
2: I'm doing good. Good?
1: We are bringing Paul on to talk about his article about James Coleman, who is the youngest and first openly LGBTQ city council member in South San Francisco. Exactly. So, Paul, tell us about where you're from and what you study.
2: Um, I am from South San Francisco. Everyone always kind of thinks that it's part of San Francisco, but it's not. It's a suburb right outside of San Francisco. Um, it should honestly just be agglomerated into the San Francisco city area, but that's another story.
1: And what types of uh, stories do you like to cover
2: and read and what's important to you? I like to write a variety of different stories. I'm not sure if there's a specific subject that really interests me, but i Really like writing about things happening within the Latinx or Latino community, but localized to whatever is happening here in the Bay Area. You know, like what's happening with a particular subgroup of the Latinx community here in the Bay Area and how that's connected to a wider issue in Latin America or something like that.
1: Yeah. So how did you come across this story? Kind of walk us through the building blocks of what that was like.
2: Well, I guess going way, way, way back, I had always known who Jones James Coleman was, even if it wasn't by name. I knew his face. Because South San Francisco is a really small town. South City, South City, <laughs> um, as it's colloquially known. Just like similar circles. But I, like I remember my senior year of high school, I remember hearing that, he, or not even my senior year, you know, like several years out of college, he was going to Harvard. I was like, oh, that's cool. Someone from South City is going to Harvard. But you know, like fast forward to the summertime, I did a story on this youth like coalition called Change SSF, with a bunch of people that I also went to school with. I mean, maybe not people that I was like personally friends with, but just people that whose faces I might know or whose names are familiar to me. But they, after the, um, the murder of George George Floyd and all the ensuing, um, you know, like political consciousness, they petitioned the South San Francisco City Council to make police reform and public safety reforms and to like rearrange the budgets to fix some like social grievances you know mm-hmm. like create more like housing and stuff like that you know like things that the community could actually use yeah. mm-hmm. but they uh, and like that led to like a whole thing like they felt like the city council wasn't really listening to them was being kind of dismissive to them and so i wrote a story on that on one particular incident although like the whole thing that i wrote about them was just kind of like encompassing who they are and what their like agenda is was at the time which was back in the summertime
0: and that um, was change ssf
2: yeah, change SSF is they created a coalition called the Coalition for Racial and Social Equity, for South San Francisco, but they didn't like how that was being organized, and you know, because they had like the chief of police on there, which was like very counterintuitive to what they kind of wanted. Yeah. But then I wrote that, and then like I totally forgot about that. And where and, was that like,
0: published?
2: And uh, the Golden Gate Express. Oh,
0: okay. Oh. Wow. wow. Uh,
2: that was. This was during the um, summertime semester. Oh, okay. Um, and then my brother told me he, he just like how I hear all the news in South San Francisco um he was telling me he's like you remember James Coleman the guy we used to do karate with you know ages ago I was like yeah that guy the guy that went to Harvard he's like yeah he's gonna run for city council okay and I didn't think anything
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I'm <laughs> sorry but you did karate with with James Coleman
2: yeah um I used to do karate he was a purple belt I never really interacted with him like again like I've never inter- I never interacted with him like one-on-one like I've known who he like who he is and like of his like you know group of friends because it's a small community like same high school like mm-hmm. there's only so many schools in this like shitty town, mm-hmm. but I'd never interacted with him. But the closest interaction that me and him had ever had was karate in middle like the middle school years. Like he was a purple belt, I was a like a second level blue belt, and he did swimming and like I did swimming at the community swimming pool. But then his press person reached out to me maybe two weeks afterwards and was like, "Hey, uh, my name is you know Russell Lee." I'm James Coleman's uh, PR manager and just reaching out to see if you'd like to do a story on James Coleman and his like you know campaign and you know like what his platform is all about and he had heard through heard about me through the article that I had written about Change SSF and like what was happening in South San Francisco in the city council mm-hmm. meetings that they were attending. He had given me a lot of information in the email he had sent me, Russell Lee, his PR manager, you know, like, oh, there's gonna be, you know, like a virtual campaign launch and there was gonna be speakers from the community and stuff like that. You know, like it's been picked up by other people since then, you know, like more notable people than poor old Paul. <clears throat> but yeah, I guess I was the first one to do it.
0: But you were, you were, you were the first one to really like get a story about him out, like, right? I haven't seen any others before that.
2: No, yeah, I I checked the other day just to be sure. I think there was another earlier story about him, but that was back in high school because he had like done something, you know, like for a science club. But other than that, like for his candidacy, I think my story was the first one. And if I might say so myself, the most comprehensive (laughs) of the profiles that were written about him.
0: It was the most comprehensive. I mean, like I've read the story through at least two times. Can you talk about like how you went about your reporting and who you talked to, what was important to to you? to include
2: so i like went to his virtual campaign and like heard what all the various speakers had to say but just listened to what was said there and then it helped me get a sense of what his platform points were and like what the and what his supporters were kind of saying about him in terms of things that were idiosyncratic or special about what he was trying to do and then just researched a bunch of his different platform points like the existing like documents um like uh, measures that have been passed by the city, like measure W and things like that, like, like bills that are all in like the public records online for the city of South San Francisco and like what the existing like legislature was so that when I could talk to him, I wouldn't, you know, like, you know, like, you know, head no head ash, no tails, kind of, you know, have a sense of what I was talking about. On his website and just like every time he talks in general, or like in all the pieces that I've seen written about him subsequently, Uh, He'll bring up like maybe five or six points, but I would say the main ones are um, universal pre-K, preschool, affordable housing, helping local businesses and climate change and things of that kind of things of that kind of nature. So and like, you know, and uh, public safety reform or, you know, like police reform and kind of divesting from police departments into back into the community of South San Francisco and generally just kind of trying to reinvigorate the the community of South San Francisco or South City. I had never done anything like that before, really. It was also, well, like I've lived in South San Francisco for like all my life, (laughs) and it's the first time. I think it's just interesting to note with this particular election, at least just like in terms of South San Francisco, this small kind of apolitical town, Mm -hmm. um, or at least previously kind of apolitical, was how everyone in the community kind of became more cognizant of the local elections. And like who the incumbents were and who was on city council whereas before like you know no one really knew like i didn't know who the mayor was i didn't know who city council was i you know like nobody really cared before but i never like talked to a political candidate before and i didn't really know what to expect but it was cool it was a good experience like it was a learning experience as well because it was my first time and like the attitudes that like and like it was interesting also to note how People, when they did learn about it, like, oh, they learned, like, the mayor or the the person that was the incumbent that he was going against, Mayor Richard Garbarino, who was the representative for District 4 of South San Francisco, how when they learned that, they're like, oh, shit, this guy's been, like, in power for, you know, like, as long as some of us have been alive, you know, like, mm-hmm. close to 20 years and yeah none of us know who he is like, wow. like he's been in, yeah, like yeah like none of us know who he is and he's the mayor and he's been in power this long it's um, <laughs> like the
0: mayor from buffy the vampire slayer turns out the dude's like 200 years old
2: <laughs> yeah i think that was something that was very interesting and also very like a positive thing to know like see this very gradual incremental interest in local civic politics whereas before it would be total indifference especially like people of like my age like 20 22 like all the people that are like um, you know Coleman's age range
1: and have you followed up after election day with the story or with Coleman
2: um yeah I wrote one other thing about him this was right before he was like in the lead around the time that I had written it wasn't also for the golden gate express because he was on the cusp of winning this was I think I had I talked to him I believe the eve of election day so November 2nd I talked to him and just kind of like his pre-sentiments going into the election um like what he thought you know like you know Talking about what his feelings were, knowing that this election day would not be a day, but it would be kind of uh, protracted and purgatorious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, like so, I talked to him about like how he was feeling, and like at the end of kind of campaigning, virtually basically, and he was really hopeful. He was like in the lead, like at the time of pub of the publication of that follow-up story, he, and by like I think it was like twelve, yeah, so he had like a very short 12, lead. Yeah. 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 Um, But then as like, yeah, then as like the days went on and it was again, like another instance of like people that I had gone to school with that I like don't keep in contact or who are like tenuously connected to me now. Like the, you know, like I know them through three people away Mm -hmm. to see them like reposting something and like, oh, like currently like the San Mateo County has just put in the new results and he's 55 votes in in. And just to see that kind of enthusiasm is very uplifting, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah, definitely
1: seeing people's involvement and engagement with the election and just politics in general was encouraging for someone who's very enthusiastic about that type of thing.
0: And we went over this a little bit before, but I want to get a little bit deeper into it. So Paul, you were the first one to write the story about, about James Coleman. They reached out to you directly because of your work with Change SSF. And I just want to know what it's like to kind of see outlets like kqed like san francisco chronicle like el tecalote like pick up this story and then continue it well
2: because it was something that i had really researched and it, I, it was really long like it took me a long time to write that and i put a lot of effort into writing and researching it so i think after a while for me myself i felt this sense of like propriety over it like i owned it <laughs> like this is fucking mine <laughs> you can't i can't talk about this so like when I first saw like the the first one that I saw I'm not sure if it was the one, like you know the next one you know, I'm not sure what the chronology was but I saw one that El Tecolote did like right after and I almost felt jealous I was like dang <laughs> I was jealous and I read it with jealousy but that's what I felt immediately at first but it was also just like cool to see that a subject that I had written about first as you said. Was kind of like growing like a dot, like it started as a dot and then it's just like growing and growing and growing into this, into whatever shape it's going to take. But then it was interesting to see like the different angles that different publications would take with the subject matter, especially depending on what the medium was. Like KQED's, the Bay podcast, I thought they did the best job in terms of like the. Coverage of that on on him as a candidate and all the stuff around it Mm -hmm. because they did a good job of like talking about um, What was happening with changes before beforehand, like all the pre-existing issues and how that kind of led into His candidacy and then like him running and stuff like that and like what the views of the city council were Because that was something that I couldn't really get into the talking to city council because they're not interested in talking to me Um, But KQED they like that they have that door open to them. Mm -hmm. So they had like a great very balanced coverage on that where they talked to a bunch of different they talked to a bunch of different City Council members and they brought up this really interesting point that I had not even thought of about how well South San Francisco City Council is very ethnically diverse Mm -hmm. there's like you know it's just like very diverse generally speaking but a point that they brought up was there's a generational gap where Mm -hmm. like that like that there's a political generational gap and that it was kind of hard And I'm paraphrasing really badly, that it's kind of hard for the, at the time, the existing city council to kind of fathom the needs or the the grievances of the younger community Mm -hmm. that are being so vocal about um, public reform or about affordable housing reform, because I don't want to say they're new issues, but it's something that is particularly relevant to perhaps the younger generation that maybe isn't something that resonates with them who are a little bit older. Or who are more entrenched in the bureaucracy of political life. And so I thought they did a fantastic job. I mean, what's cool about that,
1: too, is that, you know, you now have this connection that you can carry with you as you move forward in your career and, you know, either utilize for another publication or 10 years from now, when James Coleman is, you know, bigger in his career, you... Can you know you have that in to cover that, or you can be like, Oh, yeah, I was the first to do a story on him back when he was city council member. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I always think that's interesting when you know when us students get to kind of interview the big politicians, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I think that's something that's been like cool across the board, like outside of myself, but generally, like with like the whole like um public like the two publications this year, like you yourself, you got to talk to Jackie Fielder and had that like very intimate like bus ride with her and then like adriana talked to nasa and like i feel like the this year's publication has been doing very relevant and very cool stories mm-hmm. not cool in the novel sense but like very relevant and very i don't know i want to say beyond their years kind of because everyone's very young myself included i mean no. so I think that's also something that's very <laughs> positive to kind of take away from everybody's
1: all of relatively young yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and i think that like <laughs> I, I just want to know for the both of you, like, when you when you see someone like James Coleman, who, you know, is a Harvard graduate, now a city council member, um, I was like, when Jackie Fielder was like, she posted on Instagram, she's like, here's what 26 looks like. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck have I done with my life? Because <laughs> we're like the same age. We're like a couple months apart. I don't know it's just seeing that is it's really uplifting but at the same time i'm like like fuck i gotta get my shit together you know
1: yeah
2: yeah i um, think it's
1: a combo where like i look at you know people like james coleman my age in political positions and i think i was never going to do that like that's not in my plan <laughs> i'm not going to run for city council or any political position so i'm glad that there are people representing Me and my age group who want to do that. And like, you know, my career path is maybe covering them or doing something totally different. It gives it just makes me happy because, you know, I feel like people my age and our age are better represented. And, you. you know, I think comparing yourself to someone in an entirely different field is unrealistic. Expectations. Thank you
0: for the free therapy. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. <laughs> but that's that I wanted to bring up too because I feel that's like I'm
1: always here
2: for.
0: <laughs> I feel like there are some people that may like read your story, Paul, or just like think about James Coleman in general and just be like, "Well, like, like he's 21. Like, what have I been doing?" So I think it's just important to kind of talk about that too and like realize that, yeah, like what you're saying, Malachi, that like someone's on a different path and and you can just be happy that there's like a queer young person that is in this position of power right now and i mean we haven't talked about his queerness at all does that affect anything
2: i mean he didn't really mention it that much i believe he's bisexual to be exact he didn't mention it in terms of like any policy things that he had in mind Mm -hmm. and he's also like of taiwanese descent like he's half taiwanese
1: you know i feel like it kind of to me helps create a situation where it's more normalized where like even though it is a part of his identity and it's important, it's not the forefront reason for everything that he's doing. It will inform his decisions in an intellectual way, you know, and, and give him the ability to, to better represent a larger community. But I, I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, like, hopefully we're at a point where we're not having to constantly be throwing one form of identity everybody saying, like, you know, please, can we get some representation? Hopefully it's becoming a little bit more normal. Hell yeah. I, I agree with that, Malachi. I think
0: that's a, think that's a wonderful point.
2: It just interesting is everyone that I talked to that was connected to him, in terms of his, like, campaign manager and stuff, Francesca Buendia, who also went to high school with me, her older sister, was in my grade. So it was, like, very easy to to approach her, mm-hmm. and, and him as well, I would say, to a degree. And, like, his PR manager. They're much more approachable. I would say more vivacious and enthusiastic mm. than, like, would be cool to see whatever he does. I mean, like, a candidate can promise the world and it's all, like, really beautiful rhetoric. But, you know, it'll be cool to see what concrete actions are taken. Yeah. But for now, the rhetoric and all his, like, his guys and stuff like that are very attractive and very positive. And it's cool to see someone that is purportedly progressive in South San Francisco. And, and as someone that lives here and then, like, you know, like has lived here for a really long time and while my, most of my family lives here. It'll be cool to see what concrete changes will like start to happen incrementally, gradually or suddenly. Yeah,
1: um, and maybe we'll see like a follow-up article from you in like a year, you know, or two after he's made some some political progress.
2: Yeah, or a blunder. <laughs> oh no, oh, no. <laughs>
1: you, Yeah, you, you can either do the, the progress piece or the tabloid piece. Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah. Paul, would you like to plug any of your social medias or a portfolio of sorts? LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn
2: Tumblr, I don't have a LinkedIn. Pinterest. You I should do get it, a LinkedIn. I do have a Tumblr. <laughs> oh
1: my god. Drop your Tumblr.
0: Yeah, drop your oh. Tumblr. Get a get a LinkedIn, Paul.
2: <laughs> uh, it's <a> starman-97. <laughs> no, Follow Paul
1: on Tumblr.
2: <laughs> but no, um I, I, my Instagram handle is kind of, it's kind of stupid. I should change it. It's the Goblin King ninety eight. <laughs> That's uh, great. But I, fr- it has hyphens underneath it, so it's like I don't remember the exact order. Just search Paul Kelly in Instagram.
1: Anyway, thank you so much, Paul, for coming to speak with us yes, thank um, you, and hang out with us on this evening. It was, it was a lovely time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you thank
2: for talking you for to having us. Having me. Yeah,
1: of
0: course, of course. You're welcome back anytime
2: mm-hmm really no yeah
1: <laughs> only if only if you publish a really cool article yeah then yeah
0: otherwise okay. we don't watch it yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for joining us and chatting about your coverage. We are excited to speak with him and learn some new words.
1: Mm -hmm, Indeed. (laughs) So we all know that masks protect others from our own projected breath particles. Gross. I hope that made you as uncomfortable as it made me saying it. But in an updated scientific brief, the CDC explained that wearing a mask also protects the wearer, a.k.a. you are better protected from COVID when you wear a mask. And according to an article from KQED, the protective benefits are stronger the more people wear a mask consistently and correctly. The CDC also noted universal mask wearing can help our economy. According to the updated brief, an economic analysis using U.S. data found that increasing universal masking by 15% could prevent the need for lockdowns and reduce associated losses of up to $1 trillion dollars or about 5% of our GDP, a.k.a. gross domestic product?
0: 5% of our GDP is $1 trillion? Yeah. I don't even understand what that means.
1: So GDP is measured by like how much money you make off of your own domestic product being shipped to other countries.
0: Okay, but a trillion dollars is still
1: fucking fuck ton of money. You're welcome.
0: It is. That's that's so much. That's so much money. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. You you explain these things to me and I explain (laughs) the Star Trek universe. So, you know, it's 50-50.
1: Yeah, it really is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The CDC also suggests that the more layers of high thread count fabric, the better when protecting ourselves and others. KQED has a mask guide for that as well.
0: Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people wear like N95s and mm-hmm. then a cloth mask on top of that. Like Biden did that. I know some photographers to the SF Chronicle were saying that they do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, my really interesting.
1: my homemade masks are three layers of thick cotton. Mm. And it's it's some it's difficult to breathe. And the it fogs up my glasses, but at least I'm protected and protecting. Of course, we don't know if this will change any mask deniers' minds, but it does comfort us to know that we are protecting ourselves as well as others.
0: Speaking of protecting yourself and others, another awesome article from KQED this past week shares some tips on how to talk to your family and friends about remaining safe during the holiday season. Whether you choose to stay where you are or visit family, you should have a conversation about your mutual safety. The first step in their guide is to lead with your feelings. We cannot stress how important it is to express how you're feeling about a situation rather than telling people what they're doing wrong. Those of us who are highly therapized call these I feel statements.
1: For example, if my family were going to visit my grandparents, I would express to my grandparents that while I love their cooking, I feel unsafe sharing a meal in their home and I worry about exposing them as well.
0: Great I feel statement, Malachi. Thank you. I feel happy knowing you are practicing good communication.
1: And that's all we have today, folks. Thank you so much for (laughs) listening. (laughs)
0: No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, so the reporter also says that you need to acknowledge that the situation sucks, but be firm and make your plans clear.
1: For an example, a statement I would say is, dude, this totally blows, but I'm gonna spend Thanksgiving with the people in my house this year, but I love you.
0: I love you too, Malachi. (laughs) and i think it's important to keep in mind that you do not owe anyone a visit right now or ever really even if you love them if you communicate effectively they should understand
1: if you're feeling stressed about the holidays definitely go check out the rest of the guide and now the moment we've all been waiting for putting (laughs) a little bit of holiday into a little bit more holiday into our cocktail recipe For our cocktail recipe, I would like to dedicate this one to some random girl who introduced me to it in her freshman dorm room. This is a classic spiked hot cocoa. We're going to name this one Warm Fuzzies.
0: Start off with your favorite hot chocolate, whether that's a Nestle package or some freshly homemade Mexican hot cocoa. Whether you're grinding cacao nibs Mm -hmm. in a mortar and pestle, just make yourself a hot cuppa.
1: Now, to make it alcoholic, add two to three ounces of peppermint schnapps to your hot cocoa. And for a non-alcoholic version, add a few drops of peppermint extract. Please do not add peppermint essential oils. You can't ingest those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, please don't. And if you're not a fan of peppermint or you want a little extra kick, you can really put in whatever flavor schnapps or some orange liqueur or maybe a little bit of bourbon in there. Mm -hmm. It's really up to you. Whatever you like. Garnish with mini marshmallows or smash a peppermint stick and sprinkle it on top. Then enjoy.
1: We hope that you enjoy the warm fuzzies and that it keeps you and your family warm and fuzzy this holiday season. You can find the full recipe and more on our website. We will link that in the show notes. Lovely. (laughs) And with that, it's time for our last call. Shaylin, what's making you happy this week?
0: Oh, oh, what is making me happy this week? So I am producing and hosting a documentary uh, here in West Oakland called No Man's Land. Mm -hmm. And we're wrapping up filming right now. It's been really interesting to film with COVID protocols. But I think it's really important because we're trying to showcase people who are working in and for the community right now, uh, especially during COVID, because not Uh. everyone can just stay at home Mm -hmm. and like order all of their food from... Gig worker drivers, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, So I'm really excited that we're about to wrap up on the filming of that and go into post production. It's going to be really awesome. And I don't know if if y'all can hear, but my kitten is now inside of the room. (laughs) She is, she was crying outside. She is huge now. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that's making me very happy is that she's humongous. (laughs) And it's really funny because I was looking at pictures of her when she was like, when I got her when she was like seven weeks old. And her face is exactly the same like she isn't her face has not changed she just gotten exponentially bigger (laughs) um and i did i did calculate what her sign was a little while ago because i was very curious so she is around a taurus Mm -hmm. like about the gemini cusp and i feel like that makes a lot of sense (laughs) (laughs) tracks But how about you, Malachi? What is making you happy this week?
1: So, I am very excited because the third issue, aka the November issue of Express Magazine, was just released this last Wednesday. So, you can go look at it. Um, Once again, congratulations. Thank you. Once again, the team went above and beyond to produce an entirely virtual online magazine, over 40 pages and you know publishing that content and i'm just excited because it's got like a little bit of a loose theme of like silver linings and Mm -hmm. i don't know that makes me happy because we wanted to do something that was like election appropriate and i think with the outcome of all the election stuff it's it's gonna land well or is landing well yeah and also last night at the time of recording i had a mandalorian date with my boyfriend and it was very cute and baby yoda is so adorable, and I can't get over it. Yeah, he's so cute and small.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I can't. I can't be. I. I'm. I'm not responsible for the noises I make when that baby's on the screen. <laughs> Same. Like, um, there's this Chamoru word, and it's it's Magolai. and Magolai is like the the only way to explain it is like when you see a baby that's so cute, you just want to bite it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're just like ah, oh, <sighs> right. And that's exactly how I feel whenever I see that. Like, I just want to bite his ears so bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you had a little bit of time to spend with with your boyfriend. And once you get caught up, Mm -hmm. we can talk about it. Oh, definitely.
1: Yes. (laughs) And with that, thank you for listening to this week of the happy hour. We hope that you have a good and safe holiday season. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you to Paul C. Kelly for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate your protean perspective. (laughs) The Happy Hour is produced in collaboration with the Golden Gate Express newspaper and Express Magazine from San Francisco State University. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you better do that every time now oh, i will i've been thinking about it since the literal first time that i said that statement i was like i want to say this really fast like they do on tv commercials
0: <laughs> and you finally done it i'm yes. very proud of you these are the
1: possible symptoms anyway <laughs> bye
0: bye bye everybody have a great weekend